Welcome to Quantum number 250. Quantum is a podcast that looks at news and views and culture and sport and lots of things from a Christian perspective, but open to all. Now, this week we are going to look at the world through one event, and it means our podcast will be different than usual. Nearly all the music, not quite all, but nearly all the music I use will come from this one event. And I'm pretty sure that you can guess what it is from this opening piece. That is, of course, the choir at Westminster Abbey for the coronation of King Charles and Queen Camilla. That was Sir Bryn Turfell singing uh, Welsh, amongst other things. Now, we have to be really careful when we're looking at this subject, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, I, Some of you listening to this held parties, watched the whole thing, really celebrated. Others of you went off on marches against the coronation. A lot, I suspect, were quite indifferent. Wherever you are throughout the world, we know that um, in the United Kingdom, only about 20 million people uh, watched it, which is way, way down on, for example, even um, King Charles's, Prince Charles's wedding to uh, Lady Diana. So people as well in in our world express very strong opinions about things. And what I want to do is I want to, maybe I hope, take a slightly more nuanced approach and look at what this service had to tell us about our culture context. I am in a country where King Charles is king, but perhaps not for long, Australia. I'm from a country, Scotland, where there are plenty of people who don't really want their to be a king of Scotland, at least not one based in London. Um, there are others who strongly support it and who love the whole idea. And uh, from the Christian perspective, you'll get Christians with lots of different points of view. But let's go through some aspects of the service. Here is Ian Greenshields, the moderator of the Church of Scotland, presenting a Bible. Sir, to keep you ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, receive this book, the most valuable thing that this world has to offer. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. That is fascinating for lots of reasons. Um, the Bible is 
the most valuable thing that this world affords. It is the most valuable thing that this world affords. I believe that. Uh, Do you believe that? Does the king believe that? Does Ian Greenshields, the right reverend Dr. Ian Greenshields, believe that? Or Justin Welby? And the reason I say that is because Dr. Greenshields and Archbishop Welby are both presiding over churches that are turning away from the Bible. So if the Bible is so valuable and the most precious thing, and if here is wisdom, here is the royal law, here are the oracles of God, and you're presenting that to a secular king, then why don't you believe it in the church? Why don't you practice it in the church? Why don't you stand up for it in the church? That's my problem with this. I I think presenting the Bible almost as though it was a holy relic and of no particular significance for today, or at least we can push it aside, Uh, no thanks. Uh, We need a return to the word of God. And then take this. This is the oath that one of the oaths that the king took. Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed religion established by law? Will you maintain and preserve inviolably the settlement of the Church of England and the doctrine, worship, discipline, and government thereof, as by law established in England? And will you preserve unto the bishops and clergy of England and to the churches there committed to their charge all such rights and privileges as by law do or shall appertain to them or any of them. All this I promise to do. The things which I have here before promised, I will perform and keep. So help me God. It's extraordinary that he took that oath because these oaths are incredibly serious. Will you to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel and the Protestant reformed religion. What does it mean to take that oath? What does it mean in practice? Well, that oath was specifically designed to prevent England and Scotland um, returning to Roman Catholicism. Is that what... King Charles meant when he said it. Does he regard all faiths as being essentially the same, different ways to the same God? How can he fulfill that vow to uphold the gospel, the Protestant Reformed faith, if he doesn't believe it? You know, that that's, yeah, I... I it's funny, they put a preamble on it which said we... We foster an environment in which peoples of all faiths may live freely. Well, that's a good thing. Freedom of religion is a good thing, to live freely. But Neil Gooch in Unheard, in an article in Unheard, an essay in Unheard, said this, and yet the questions remain, what does it mean to have a monarch who has sworn to hold the Protestant Reformed religion established by law in a country as religiously diverse as Britain, where barely anyone under 30 has any meaningful connection with the Church of England? What's the point of having a Christian king as the fount of our law when his subjects are routinely arrested and even prosecuted for praying in the wrong place or for stating the basic moral teachings of the Christian faith? That is a very good question. 
I wonder what your answer is. That's uh, William Byrd. That's such a beautiful piece of music from uh, a setting from the Book of Common Prayer. And one of the great things about the service is the way that uh, Cranmer's Cranmer and the scripture and so on were so central. I, I think that, um, at least in form, was wonderful. And speaking of scripture, here is the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, a Hindu, a practicing Hindu, Reading from Colossians. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I, I found that astonishing, really astonishing, not least because, as some of you may know, I've been doing a series on YouTube of five-minute talks every day on Coffee and Colossians. I think we're up to number 27, 28 just now, and we're still only at chapter one 
and verse 16. And these are the verses that were read. Now, I've seen a number of commentators saying things like, isn't it absolutely wonderful that that um, a Hindu can read these scriptures and they can all be true? Now, not for a minute, as you, as you read this, not for a minute could a practicing Hindu read those scriptures and believe what they say and remain a Hindu. Why? Because Colossians 1, of all passages from verse 15 onwards, talks about the supremacy of Christ, the uniqueness of Christ, how everything was created through Christ. There are not many gods or thousands of gods, or as in Hinduism, millions of God, gods. There is one who can forgive of sins. There's one who has created all things. They're all created by him and for him. Christ is the purpose and point and, and sustenance of everything. And so here is uh, Rishi Sunak, and he read it really well, and, uh, you know, he's very, impress- he's very impressive in many ways. But did he mean it? Did he understand it? Do we? And then we had something pretty unusual for a coronation service, uh, the Ascension Choir. sing praises, sing praises unto our God. Um, to be honest, I absolutely loved this. I know some people thought it was a bit out of place. I just thought it was fabulous. And I thought um, they looked as though they they meant it. I don't know. But um, again, it was from Psalm 47, just a wonderful uh, rendition. So then we come on to the sermon. Now, here again, culturally, is, I think, where there is a major problem in our culture and society. Uh, From the church. This is the fault of the church. This is not the fault of you who are listening to this who are not believers. This is on us. This is our fault for those those of us who are Christians, or at least um, those who profess to be Christians and belonging to the church. Because the sermon uh, was a great opportunity. So here's part of it. The weight of the task given today, Your Majesties, is only bearable by the Spirit of God, who gives us the strength to give our lives to others. With the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the King is given freely what no ruler can ever attain through will or politics or war or tyranny. The Holy Spirit draws us to love in action, 
This is promised by Jesus, who put aside all privilege because, as the first reading tells us, God will give all things for our sake, even his own life. His throne was a cross. His crown was made of thorns. His regalia were the wounds that pierced his body. Each of us is called by God to serve. Whatever that looks like in our own lives, each of us can choose God's way today. We can say to the King of Kings, God himself, as does the King here today, give grace that in thy service I may find perfect freedom. In that prayer, there is promise beyond measure, joy beyond dreams, hope that endures. By that prayer, for every king, every ruler, and yes, for every person, for all of us, we are opened to the transforming love of God. Amen. Now, again, I think there are some Christians who suffer from what I call royal wedding syndrome. Um, since Harry and Meghan's wedding, they're saying the sermon there was a great gospel thing. And people here were saying, I think people, if you're royalist and you're a Christian, you want this to be the case. And I guess even if you're not, you, you still want it to be the case. So it's not that Justin Welby said anything wrong. It's by what he missed out that he ended up giving a completely wrong impression. At best, it's moralistic therapeutic deism. It gave the idea that, you know, Jesus was the, is the king of kings, but he's a wee bit different. He came to serve. Charles is coming to serve. And um, service is, is love in action. Uh, we see that active love in our care for the most vulnerable and so on. And, you know, building communities and serving in the armed forces and all that kind of stuff. The unity they show, the example you give is what binds us together and offers societies that are strong, joyful, happy and glorious. No, 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 no. Our unity doesn't do that. Human beings are actually disunited. Unity around a king doesn't do that. Britain's actually pretty divided on, on this one. Um, so what, what are we saying about Jesus? The Archbishop did not tell us of a Christ who came to die for our sins. He did not speak about sin. He spoke about how wonderful we are, and he spoke about how we need to serve one another, and, you know, obviously all take part in all the right causes. You can interpret his words as you wish. Give grace in, in thy service, they may find perfect freedom. Yeah. We are open to the transforming love of God. His throne was a cross, his crown was made of thorns, his regalia were the wounds that pierced his body. Well, that seemed to me completely contrary to what was actually going on in, uh, in the coronation. But it was just a missed opportunity because it wasn't the gospel. It wasn't the Protestant reform faith that he was supposed to be defending. It wasn't the Catholic faith, to be honest. 
it just was vacuous. And that's what's so wrong. We've just, the, the church has just presented the, to the world something that's just not the gospel. You give your life for the sake of others. No, Jesus, it wasn't by volunteering and serving in the armed forces or, you know, helping youth groups or whatever it is. So in this whole sermon, there's no need for salvation, no need, for, there's no sin. Although they did point out it's only bearable by the Spirit of God. So let's have a little bit more of music from that. That's Zadok the priest, um, Handel's version of it uh, from 1 Kings 1. King David said, call in Zadok the priest, verse 32, Nathan the prophet and Benaniah son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, take your Lord's servant with you and set Solomon my son uh, on my mule, take him down to Gihon. There shall Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, long live King Solomon. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Now that's where the anointing idea comes from. And I listened to a wonderful uh, mini-series on the Rest is History podcast where Tom Holland and Dominic Sandro talked about um, the anointing tradition and talked about how actually uh, in terms of how it's done today, this whole sacral quality, it's only in the United Kingdom and Tonga that this is now done. But the anointing, with oil. Now, the anointing with oil is symbolic of receiving the Holy Spirit. But the way it was done in the Abbey, it seemed as though people thought this was actually receiving the Holy Spirit. Do we get the Holy Spirit by anointing with oil? No, we don't. We get the Holy Spirit by be believing in Christ, by asking. How will the Father refuse to give? We, we need the Holy Spirit. King Charles needs the Holy Spirit. We all need the Holy Spirit. But it's not some kind of magical ritual. And incidentally, if the Spirit had come, imagine if the Spirit had come across that uh, on the whole service at the coronation. What does Jesus say the Spirit does? He convicts of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. All right, let's go back to the ceremony. Mm -hmm. 
Now that's uh, sung by Roderick Williams, Be strong and show thy worth, keep the commandments of thy God and walk in his way. And that was uh, part of the service. Actually, when that came on, I actually left. And I'll tell you why. Because, and again, I don't mean to offend anyone, but I, I couldn't bear watching the crowning of Queen Camilla. May thy servant Camilla, who wears this crown, be filled by thine abundant grace and with all princely virtues. Reign in her heart, O King of love, that being certain of thy protection, she may be crowned with thy gracious favour, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The rod and scepter are presented now by the Bishop of Dover, the Right Reverend Rose Hudson Wilkin, and the former Bishop of London, Lord Charters. Receive the royal scepter. Receive the rod of equity and mercy. May the Spirit guide you in wisdom and grace, that by your service and ministry, justice and mercy may be seen in all the earth. I know that King Edward abdicated because he married a divorcee. I know um, there's an article in The Australian perhaps summed it up really well. By the way, I, the commentator who said, the Queen Consort is particularly concerned about the empowerment of women. Well, Prince Charles's first wife, Lady Diana, was hardly empowered. The, the ring that's given a sign of royal dignity and the covenant now, in an article in The Australian, as I was saying, the notion of Queen Camilla would have caused a near rebellion in Britain, as someone who's perceived as a homewrecker, the third person in the marriage, and so on. But there's been a 25-year PR campaign, and to some extent, it's been successful. Um, but I, how can you promise to uphold the laws of God and then so unrepentantly unrepentantly commit adultery. I, I just, it didn't make any sense to me. On the 20th anniversary of Diana's death six years ago, just 14% of Britain supported Camilla becoming queen. In 2022, Queen Elizabeth, during her Platinum Jubilee celebration, released a letter saying it was her sincere wish that when Charles became king, Camilla would be known as Queen Consort 
Well, she's not going to be known as Queen Consort. She's the Queen. And I think, you know, this whole coronation thing for me was more like a funeral ritual or the continual of the Queen's funeral, because I do think this is the end of an era. If it's not the end of the mo a monarchy, and personally, I think that only uh, Will and Kate could possibly save them. But I, I think that we're, we've moved well away. We're moving away from the word of God. We're moving away from this kind of sacral authority as a king. You know, you talk about the Holy Spirit coming. Imagine if the Archbishop of Canterbury had preached the gospel, but not only that. Imagine if he'd done a John the Baptist and hammered King Herod, who hammered King Herod for his uh, adultery. And yeah, I mean, that would, uh, that would have put the viewing figures through the roof, but no. See, this is where the farcical stuff of all it comes, you know. The Archbishop of Canterbury presided over a commission on families and households. And I was going to use this this week anyway, until I thought about doing the um, coronation. And it says, Being single does not restrict anyone's access to being loved and nurtured, nor does singleness imply celibacy. The choice to remain single does not de deny the enjoyment of a sexual relationship. Well, th this is the Archbishop's commission. It's hypocritical and blasphemous to have all those words about honoring the Bible as the word of God. And then, wow. Justin Welby kneeled for the king and said, I will be faithful and true to the king. Well, I suggest to be better off being faithful and true to the king of kings. Anyway, that, that's the ceremony itself. Here, um, the, the coronation concert, I'm sorry, I had no interest in it whatsoever, but I did get a few inverted commas, highlights. Um, this was probably the highlight. This is part of Prince William's uh, speech. Take the natural world. He warned us of the risks to our planet's health long before it was an everyday issue. Or the Prince's trust. It is supported. <laughs> the Prince's trust has supported over a million young people many from disadvantaged backgrounds, to realise their ambitions. And perhaps most importantly of all, my father has always understood that people of all faiths, all backgrounds and all communities deserve to be celebrated and supported. Pa, we are all so proud of you. Again, I think he and his wife have behaved themselves with dignity and so on. But the speech itself reveals our modern religion, the natural world, the prince's trust, you know, helping young people, all that very good, isn't it? But most important of all, people of all faiths, backgrounds and communities deserve to be celebrated and supported. Well, whatever that is, that's not the Protestant reform faith that he's just sworn to uphold. It's also not the Christian faith. What do I mean? Because it sounds good. It sounds as though it's the right thing. Well, it doesn't make any sense. For example, all, all communities. What about the QAnon community? Should they be celebrated? What about the pedophile community? Should they be celebrated? Because they say, well, of course not. That's not what they mean. Oh, you mean all different religions? But should all different religions be celebrated in the same way? Why is, has the king sworn to hold one of them? 
does he not believe it's true? You see what I'm saying? There are problems that lie ahead. Um, just one or two other things from the reaction to the coronation. Uh, utterly astounding that the Bridgerton star Adioda Ado, Ado um, had said that the royal family is terribly white. The balcony was terribly white. Yeah, they're a white family. <laughs> they're just terribly white. We, you, know, you know, in a remake of the coronation in a few years' time, doubtless we'll have some token, what they call people of colour. Another thing that really amused me was Humanist UK putting out a sign saying, uh, we want to sound an alarm, kind of, um, that religion's influence in society seeks to resurge in a truly alarming way through the coronation. Wow. And then yet another one, um, many people did this, but I'll take Stephen Flynn, MP, leader of the SNP in Westminster, saying uh, about an anti-monarchy group who were arrested at a coronation protest. This is deeply disturbing. Clarity urgently required. The right to peaceful protest is non-negotiable, irrespective of whom you are protesting. And this indicates the hypocrisy and the hierarchy of values, the non-equality in our culture. Because Mr. Flynn supports banning anti-abortion protesters from being outside abortion clinics. So on the one hand, he says it's essential to a democracy to uh, allow protesters to disrupt a coronation. But it's not essential. In fact, it's essential to democracy to ban people who want to protest the taking of, of babies' lives. Wow. Tell you what, I'm going to have a bit of music that wasn't at the coronation, although the singer was. Do you know who this is? Still your hands, still your heart, still your face comes shining through. And all the morning glows in you. Still your mind, still your soul, for still the fire of the love is true. And I am a breathless without you. circles among the trees and it bangs about of the new made leaves for it is a breathless without you and the fox chases the rabbit around and the rabbit hides beneath the ground for he is defenseless without you the sky of daytime dies away and all the earthly things Stop to play For we are all breathless without you I listen to my children bones And the blood in my veins That's Nick Cave singing Breathless uh, Great song Still your mind, still your soul For still the fire of love is true And I am breathless without you The wind circles among the trees And it bangs about the new made leaves For it's breathless without you we need the breath of God. We need the spirit of God. Nick Cave was invited to the coronation. He went. It was funny to see him go sitting on his own initially and the reaction of some of his fans against him. And he wrote a very uh, wonderful piece about why he had gone on his red hand files. But uh, I just thought, yeah, this is breath breathless. We, 
we need the Ruach, we need the, the Spirit of God to blow upon us. We, the King Charles, he, I, I hope and pray he receives the Spirit. R- Rishi Sunak, I hope and pray that that reading from Colossians 1, that God will not let that get out of his mind and he will think about it more and more. There was, at the coronation, apparently, a new cross of Wales incorporating a relic of the true cross. The relic is made up of two small wooden shards said to be taken from the cross on which Jesus was crucified. It's rubbish, of course. In the Reformation, remember, the Protestant Reformed faith the king is due to defend, they rejected the veneration of relics. I love Calgin's, Calvin's um, observation of all the true pieces of the cross were assembled together, there'd be enough to build a ship. You know. So where we come back in all of this, let me just say this, that one of the hymns sung was Christ is made the sure foundation. Absolutely. That's what it has to be. I think in the coronation, although there were many words about Christ, the foundation was ourselves, the foundation was the king, the foundation was Britain. And I think that because of what people say afterwards and because although people including religious leaders, use the words about the Bible. They don't demonstrate that they actually believe it. We shall return to normal next week, I think, although I do have in mind another special, but I'm wrestling with it. Um, thanks to Peter for producing this. If you want to support us, go to the Podbean fundraiser. If you've got comments to make, feel free to make them. Apologies for those of you who are out-and-out Republicans and don't like this. Uh, those of you who are out-and-out royalists don't like this. Um, just please reflect on some of the things that were said. Let me have your point of view. That's fine. Uh, I pray that God would bless you. I pray you'd come to know this king. I do pray that God would save the king and that he would save us. And so I want to finish with this song, Psalm 24, sung not in Westminster Abbey, but by the St. Peter's congregation in Dundee, a song that we sing, we sang a lot at communions. Ye gates lift up your heads on high, and it talks about let the king enter. And then who is the king? The king of glory entering. That's Jesus. It's not King Charles. I wish him well. I pray for him. But our hope cannot be in kings or presidents or political rulers or celebrities or commentators or religious gurus. Our hope must only be in the king of kings. Oh, ancient.